You know what we say in the industry, the bad guys are always a step ahead. They're probably more funded than we are. It's purely to just ensure that you have the right infrastructure in place to secure the integrity of the information you hold for your customers, their funds, and whatever is uh, critical to the organization. Hi, everyone. My name is Nkirukai Menoho, and the Experience Podcast is a one-on-one interview-led podcast that discusses the adoption and utilization of relevant emerging technologies and trends. We give impact-oriented professionals, researchers, developers, and students realistic and thought-provoking perspectives on the opportunities and challenges presented by these phenomena in our unique environment. So according to research from Cybersecurity Ventures, global cybercrime is increasing on average 15% year on year. By 2025, it is estimated that cybercrime will cost businesses worldwide $10.5 trillion. With this influx of disruptive technologies, such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, IoT and cloud computing, cybersecurity is an even more important conversation. As we see that, you know, disruption presents major challenges, but also new opportunities. Today, cybersecurity is more than damage control. It has become a prioritized commercial investment for numerous businesses, especially in the financial services industry. So we have the pleasure of speaking with Adeolua Akomolafe, the Chief Information Security Officer of Wema Bank. He's joining us today to talk about some of the disruptive trends we foresee having security impact and what this means for the future of Nigeria's cybersecurity landscape. You're welcome, Adi. Thank you. Okay, so I'll just jump into some questions. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with Wema Bank or its flagship products, LATS. But for those who might not be familiar with cybersecurity practice, could you give us a quick overview of what being a chief information security officer means and uh, what kind of work it involves? Okay, thanks, Nkuruka. Well, in simple terms, the job of a chief information security officer is basically to drive the information security strategy of the bank, which means you're responsible for ensuring security is in building all processes, ensuring that the customer information, data, funds, and whatever we hold there for the customer is secure. So in simple terms, that's it. And it sounds like it's an easy job, but it's not what it says on the cover, really. It sucks you in and it's something you do 24-7. It's like you're sleeping with one eye open. And you know what we say in the industry, the bad guys are always a step ahead. They're probably more funded than we are. It's purely to just ensure that you have the right infrastructure in place to secure the integrity of the information you hold for your customers, their funds, and whatever is uh, critical to the organization. Thank you. Thank you, Adi. Great. Okay. So over the past year, you know, we've spoken to clients and we noted common behaviors in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. We saw an urgency in scaling up digital infrastructure to enable people to work from home and a massive increase in the rate of organizations moving you know, their IT infrastructure to the cloud. Can you tell us how the pandemic specifically affected your role with regards to general operations? Were there new security risks you were seeing and how did you adapt? Okay, for Wema Bank from an operational perspective, it- from the technology side, and I'm talking about the guys in a lot in the tech space, it's a journey we've been on for a while, but though not 
part of the policy of the bank for people to work remotely. But we've had cases where we had developers working remotely and they had some form of access to the bank's infrastructure. But with COVID, we had to approach this in a different way. Now we had to get more people working remotely. We needed to ensure that connection is secure. And luckily we had organizations like Microsoft, Cisco, providing some form of relief because of COVID. They had solutions they allowed us to sign up to and we sort of run a trial for 90 days before we make any payment. So that enabled us to set up VPN for access to the network first, to deploy security also in that space to ensure that connection is secure. Of course, there was still a policy around who has access to what and what sort of infrastructure do we want people to access remotely. There are certain applications within the bank that there's still some form of restraint when you say you want people to access this remotely, but that's changing. And we've seen it as something that's come to stay. I worked remotely for a long period of time pre-COVID, but now it's mm. come to stay. At WEMA, we currently have a policy where people can work from home certain days of the week and be in the office because we also need to control the number of people coming into the office. There still needs to be some social distancing and all that because COVID is still out there. So that's the case for COVID. From a digital journey or transformation side of things, we sort of started that in 2016 up to the point where we launched a lot in 2017. So that journey had started. Of course, it also comes with its risk and we needed to respond to that. For example, outside of the security risk, there was also impact on infrastructure. We, we, we needed to add some infrastructure to be able to serve the number of customers that we were onboarding digitally and the sort of activities they needed to perform on the application. So that, that has led to some changes in the way we deploy solutions and the way we even try to secure these solutions. So for example, DevOps is a thing for developers, but then you know the way they respond to security. So we had to also yeah. infuse security into their development pipeline, right? And of course, looking at what's available in the Azure marketplace and looking at the sort of solutions and what we're looking for from a security perspective, how do I automate the security reveals so that these guys can do their job more effectively without the constraints of, oh, you develop a code, then you hand it over to security for review. The review is done. You come back with some exceptions. You need to go close those exceptions before you're allowed to push applications to store. So we had to find a way to remove that bottleneck. And we looked at some tools and deployed that and that's uh, sort of reduced us having to sort of poke our eyes into everything they're doing at every minute. You know, we basically just receive alerts and uh, reports on the integrity of the codes they're deploying to the store. And that's enabled the business to do things faster. And really over the years, what we've done at WebMai is to basically infuse security as the baseline for projects. So if you're making any change or you're deploying a new solution, there has to be some sort of project management around that includes some sign off from certain parts of the business. And of course, security, compliance, other yeah. control functions need to have a say in bringing all that together. And also when we're going to the cloud, that experience enabled us to engage the cloud provider extensively to ensure that we also have those controls that a big people might feel 
it's not applicable in that environment, but we're able to build that into the engagement we had with them. One thing I see that is lacking in this environment, or a lot of people don't sort of take massive concentration for is the impact of clear documentation. You know, if you have clear documentation, then you are able to build the right processes for whatever it is you're doing. One other journey we have been on as a bank is uh, robotic process automation. That's also driven by all these changes. And of course, that is to serve customers better. So we've been automating some of our processes. We've looked at some critical processes. We're about 80 something percent done. And really the feedback from the business is that made a lot of things faster and the sort of data, because now you've moved it from someone manually doing things to, so we don't get too technical to some script or application yeah. running that process. So the error rate is lower and that's made the uh, business a lot more seamless. Interesting. That sounds really interesting, Nadi. I'm particularly um, excited at what the bank is doing to adapt to the new realities that we see. It's interesting. Okay. So naturally, as more companies deepen their digitization efforts, cybercrime becomes a more daunting prospect. In May 2020, McAfee reported a 600% increase in the use of corporation tools such as Zoom, Microsoft 365 or WebEx, and a 630% increase in external attacks on cloud accounts. So this means that the risk of threat actors targeting the cloud far outweighs the risk brought on by changes in employee behavior. So new working requirements during the pandemic pushed the uptake of new technologies and tools. However, unfamiliarity with the tools and lack of expertise creates potential areas of exploitation. So was this something that you were mindful of? And what would you say the biggest security lessons learned were for you over the past year? For me, really, it's, I won't say a lot has changed. Because if you think about it, that you're delivering technology to your staff or customers to do their job or perform transactions, they don't know what's happening at the back end. So it's really on the tech guys and the security guys to ensure that security is in built-in fields when you're thinking about cloud migration. Right. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of it really is technology is moving at a pace where even the OEMs are providing solutions that ensures that you can secure your infrastructure to an extent. Now it comes down to the knowledge of the people doing the job. So there's some assumption that let's take Azure Cloud, for example. So you go to Microsoft and you say, I want some infrastructure in your uh, space. Now, Microsoft would mm-hmm. secure that infrastructure to an extent. Now, you need to also bring in your own internal policies and security practices to ensure that whatever infrastructure that you've been provisioned in the cloud is also secure to your own standards and really that's where the job really is because the technologies are out there right but you need to ensure that the integration that needs to be done it's done one one thing that is key really with this cloud infrastructure is you having visibility you know because your attack surface is larger and without visibility then you are just pretending you're running security you're not really doing security so that visibility is key one challenge is we've 
over the years, we've deployed solutions that are purely for devices on-prem, you know? So yeah. some organizations would have to, for example, upgrade their SIM to one that can pull logs from their cloud infrastructure. And you need to also know you need to do that. There's some governance around that also, because you don't just move everything to the cloud. You know, there are regulatory requirements and also because of the way some applications are, you need to also agree as an organization, what uh, part of your critical infrastructure do you want to move to the cloud? You also need to, before that, have your cloud strategy in place. Are you running a full cloud infrastructure? Are you running it on hybrid formats? or how do you want to run it? So there's some governance work that needs to be done around all that migration before you start moving things to the cloud. Because if you don't do that, then you're just running some haphazard approach that won't give you the right results. The other challenge is we need to get to a point where cybersecurity practices are now automated. You know, it's yeah. not about some guy coming in to, oh, I'm coming to do a pen test or I'm going to review this application. We need to have uh, automation in our processes that ensures that we're continuously monitoring for threats, right? Yeah. Because it's outside of your perimeter now, you know, and to make it worse, really. So it's not a case of, I have an infrastructure in the cloud and I can say, I'll give you a typical example. Mm -hmm. If you have an API to connect to some application or whatever on-prem, because the IP subnet you have in the cloud is a large subnet because those IP addresses might change at any time. Microsoft might do something and move you to a different IP, whatever, you're creating permission from your firewall to a large subnet in the cloud, right? Now yeah. that expands your uh, threat landscape immediately. So yeah. how do you ensure that outside of that, you're able to get down granular to say, okay, this particular API is only accessing this, this permission is granted for exactly this activity. You now need yeah. to understand exactly what the developers are building, what that application is meant to be doing to deploy the right security infrastructure for the particular solution. The cloud also comes with its benefits. I feel personally that there's more threat intelligence sharing in that space than on-prem, okay? So between Microsoft, Amazon, Google, or whoever, there's some serious threat intelligence sharing going on. You know, if you've deployed Microsoft's ATP, for example, for 0365, Yes, it requires a lot of configuring and ensure you have the, but the threat intelligence there, it's quite robust, you know, robust, so that's yeah. positive from the cloud. At the end of the day, it's what it is. That's where uh, technology is going to, and we just need to ensure that we are ready for yeah. that challenge because we have fintechs today fully running off cloud infrastructure and you're interacting with mm -hmm. these insects in one form or the other, you know, yeah. Thank you, Adi. Thank you. So are you saying based on your experience, you know, this is this is the way to go? Well, it's that's where everyone is going to. Learn. <laughs> if, if you're not yeah. going down that route, then, then you, you get left behind. And to be frank, if you look at the sort of technology solutions that OEMs are putting out there, these days, they're all cloud-centric, you know, and I don't have, I know that's part of this question that's talking about predictions or whatever. I don't have any yeah. predictions. Physical infrastructure will still exist, but 
it's all going to be hybrid. And I see a 75% cloud and 25% on-prem. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Experience at Wema Bank. Are there other critical security questions that every commercial bank or every organization in general should ask and have answers to before using cloud? Well, my own approach really is whether cloud or you're dealing with a third party, you need to have some sense of the appreciation of security, right? So for third parties generally, a simple question is, most of them are not bound by any regulations, but simple questions like, do you have an infosec policy? You know, how do you onboard your employees? If I see a tech organization saying, oh, we don't have an infosec policy, then that's a red flag. That's a red flag, yeah. You know, so you can ask those simple questions. For cloud infrastructure, well, you said, the thing about cloud is there are few players in that market. And outside of Amazon, Microsoft, and uh, Google, I don't think Google. any serious organization would go for anything outside of those three, right? Yes, you would expect that they do things the right way, but you still need to engage. And like I said, you need to define your own security requirements for your dedicated space in that cloud infrastructure. Microsoft is Microsoft. Amazon is Amazon. The argument is neither here or there about which one is more secure. Amazon, yes, people would say, because it's like the case of the Android and iPhone discussion, right? Android is in quotes, more open source, right? Than yeah. I'm just using open source as because we understand that language than yeah. iPhone. It's the same thing with the way some people look at Amazon and Microsoft when it comes to cloud provision. So no one is okay. more secure than the other. Every organization can be breached. Microsoft tells you they have a massive budget for security, but we see breaches every day. They release better yeah. version of an application before the full version is out so it's all about your own specific requirements and who you think meets those requirements best and really you have to define your own security requirements outside of the basics they would provide and you need to ask them these questions what i say is that assumption that oh it's microsoft it's amazon or it's google you assume that they have these things. You need to ask questions and in some cases, a request for evidence of whatever security processes they say they have in place. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. So people, organizations need to be more strategic about these things. So I'll move over to emerging trends and just everything about the IT service delivery has changed drastically, but to some extent, our security measures are still built around old practices of software and system design. Now, based on your experience, where does security need to catch up with digital transformation and how? Where does security need to catch up? I think security is catching up already, or maybe Mm -hmm. it has to an extent. The biggest challenge with digital capabilities and the way technology is moving these days is the constant change, right? Where I say security lacks is moving at that same speed. Change is like so rapid. It's difficult for security processes to, to keep up with those rapid changes. Also, the type of attacks changing. Today, you have the AI-enabled attacks and all that. But the beauty of it also is that the the defenders are also coming up with tech to deal with these changing threats landscape. You know, you have more integrated security systems. 
For example, we're having some discussions recently around the SD1 and SASIC. And really, most of these things these days are frameworks where you now look at your different security solutions and you bring them all into that framework. We've moved from the days of you just have one security solution doing one particular thing and it's not interacting with the other security solution. Today, we have integrated security systems and that improves the sort of visibility we have into the network and enables us to manage these larger attack surface better. The other thing is to also ensure that security is in built and not something you bolt on at the end of a process, a change or application development. So I talked about fusing security in development, CI/CD pipeline. What that gives you is a fact, as soon as a developer is coding, you are reviewing the codes, you know, dynamically and is able to correct gaps in that code even before it goes to the next stage. And you define certain parameters that if the code does not meet those parameters, it breaks the build, it doesn't move on to the next stage. And that needs to be a culture that is part of things that are done in any organization. Changes should not just be implemented without the right stakeholders involved to ensure they define the right set of controls. One other massive issue for cybersecurity, and I'm sure you guys are also in the same space, is the skills gap, right? Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. a skills gap in digital technologies and the sort of skills uh, so-called cybersecurity experts are. We wouldn't even go into the brain drain that is happening in this Yeah. So it has to be, you need to have regular training for your both IT and uh, cybersecurity personnel, because really one of the problems cybersecurity has is IT, because sometimes they're like the business. They just want to deploy things and get the business running without getting security involved. So they need to be aware when you're training your security staff, also be training your IT staff. So they have an appreciation of what security is about and what else there still needs to be regular testing. You can't run away from that point in time security assessment that we always do, bringing the PWCs of this world to come to a VAPT. That gives you some sense of how secure or not you are. And you can, based on that report, improve things and improve your cyber security. Like I said, threat intelligence is key. One thing I would say is missing in our environment today and in my space, financial services is sharing threat intelligence because one attack on one is attack on all. Most of us have the same sort of infrastructure. We might be running different core banking applications, but you're running the same sort of databases and all that. And yeah. if they've tried something at one bank, they'll definitely try it at some other bank. If we share threat intelligence Thank better, we'll be able to secure the ecosystem better. And I'm sure I've touched on automating cybersecurity practices. It's extremely important because the speed at which tech is evolving, you can't catch up trying to have uh, manual interventions, mm -hmm, you know. These things need to be automated and luckily solutions out there are offering such automation to make life yeah. easier for us. Thank you. Interesting, interesting. So you have been with Wema Bank for the better part of a decade. And I'm sure you've seen the launch of several mobile applications like Alat, mm -hmm. as well as an uptake in online banking services. Can you please speak about some of the digital transformations that have taken place at Wema Bank um, in the past few years? And how has this shift from physical to internet-based or USSD-based service delivery 
impacted operations and security? So everyone knows about um, a lot and the first fully digital bank in Nigeria and maybe in, in Africa. So that's one. And I think outside of Kenya, prior to when we launched uh, USSD in Nigeria, no one was really using USSD for consummating transactions in any form. It, it was basically just for providing information, you know, send you some messages via SMS, dial this number to get some information. So that came with its own challenge. You know, mobile or telcos as they're called, and because of the sort of business they do in the past, they, they don't think security because their business is you want to talk, you want to browse and that's it. So you guys now invaded our infrastructure and you say you want to use it for financial transactions. So hmm. you need to sort out the security bit of it. That was actually a bigger challenge than uh, securing a lot or any mobile application because of the way USSDs and the, what you're selling with USSDs, the simplicity of its usage right and those sessions are yeah. very short sessions and to plug security in those sessions basically kills what uh, ussd is all about so if you can imagine saying to consummate a transaction via ussd you need to use uh, a hard token for example and the session expires in i don't know 20 seconds you know before you mm -hmm. pick the hard token generate a pin impure the pin the session has already ended and you so ussd was actually a a massive challenge to secure and it still is really because yeah. the one of the biggest threats in the industry today well in nigeria is this issue of sim swap you know the minute yeah. your sim has been swapped and they have access to your sim they can start doing several things you know, your yeah. BVN is easy to get. It's just daily code and you get someone's BVN. Now, it was now on the banks to now look at onboarding process for our different products. You know, how do we onboard people on USSDs? That even if you do a SIM swap, it becomes difficult for you to register via USSD because I'm going to request some other information about this individual from you before you can register but it's a journey and we'll just keep mm -hmm. looking at the different feedback from customers reveals external issues and all that to provide solutions that gives the customer some comfort that this digital thing you're giving me is secure enough today we've moved to agency banking now the agents are saying we also want, well, the banks are saying, we also want the agents to do a lot more, you know, things like, yes, you want to issue cards at agent locations. You want to activate those cards. That also comes with a security challenges because the business will tell you, oh, we can onboard more customers if we provide this extra service, or we can increase the number of uh, cards we issue to a certain number that equates to more income for the bank because then you're paying some charges and all that. The job is on you yeah. to ensure that those integrations are done in a secure manner. I guess for me, really, it's just about moving at the same pace as the changes the business are bringing to you and yes. maybe just trying to be a step ahead of them by understanding what's out there. You know, so when they're coming to you, you're already aware and you've been thinking about what sort of solutions you can give them that enables us to do transactions in a secure manner. There's also the, you know, when we talk digital transformation, we're basically keeping it at what's done within the banks. That's a totally wrong approach because there's uh, the group of people that are fighting the banks for a large chunk of the pie, the fintechs, 
and mm-hmm. they are way more nimble, mobile, and the security to them is uh, is an afterthought, really. Uh, we've engaged most of these guys, you know, while we're going through all those, so, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. They are deploying just like that. I'm sure we've all seen the video about the stuff with Tope. You know, yeah. no one has come out to say what exactly the issue was. Was it a cyber breach? Was it, you know, was it some insider yeah. stuff? But you will get the full details of that. We, we just wait and see. But those are the challenges we deal with. And all these guys integrate with banks. And, you know, you really don't have visibility to what they're doing at their own, their own end. And third-party risk has become a bigger risk than inside issues. You know, mm. most banks, to a large extent, will say they've secured the the perimeter. And I know you do VAPTs for a lot of organizations, and you may be able to attest to that fact that external pen tests you don't really accept. Maybe you find something sitting on some. DNZ space that no one is aware of. Maybe tech has deployed something they didn't tell anyone, or you have a third-party application sitting somewhere. So really, for me, that's somehow insider trade is big, but the trade from yeah. the third parties is even a bigger one, and one organizations need to focus on and have some form of governance around. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was a great response, Adi. So I'll move over to my next question because it's related to what you just talked about. So we've seen consumer data privacy and protection issues. It's become uh, a more important conversation that is had, you know, across markets, especially with more and more high profile data breaches or hacking scandals. I like that you threw some stats when you answered the previous question. The average Nigerian is constantly exchanging personal information for services, whether it's banking services, online purchases, you want to buy, you know, cards, credit cards, or you want to get access to Wi-Fi. We are one of the most vulnerable countries uh, among our peers when it comes to cyber threats, despite having relatively high spend. So where is the gap between our spend and its impact? Oh, that's a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> that's a tough question. Yeah. yeah. Because now we need to look at the demography of the nation as a whole. If you mm-hmm. think about it, that uh, let's face it, we're a poor country. Forget all the, the oil and all that, and largely uneducated. So, for example, you've you've probably heard all these calls they make to people and you ask yourself, how did you fall for that? You know, why would yeah. you give your details out to this person? And the banks mm-hmm. keep sending out information, awareness stuff about, you know, we won't call you to ask for this and that. So I think it's not really an issue of uh, spend on security. I think the spend on security is doing what it's meant to do, right? But there's a lot of work to be done around awareness for the general public. And I know CBN and the committee of CISOs were working on some industry awareness. That's, that's already started, really. Yeah. And yeah. trying to do that in all the different local languages and you know, just to create awareness about all these threats. And also internally, we try to drive awareness around. You'll be shocked that even bankers still fall prey to all these things. So when you do your phishing test and all that, the numbers sometimes are scary. And you wonder, didn't you guys read the last awareness mail we sent out? Or didn't you see the posters we put out there? Do not just click on links, you know, check email addresses to be sure it's from the right email address. In fact, we had a situation I can share because it was blocked. Some people set up a 
domain called wenabank.com, not Wema. So it was W E N A, you know. Yeah. And it's easy, it's easy to miss that, you know. That so, last letter. Yeah. So if you just basically set up an email address and send that wena.com to someone, but the guy won't look at it. And we just mm. deal with whatever mm. the content of the email is. So I guess for me, it's a constant training, awareness, awareness mm. internally, and mm. also the work that CBN is doing externally. Because if you look at the fraud cases, mm-hmm. only a few of those fraud cases, and I laugh when you know you see all these reports that a bank has been hacked and all whatnot. Yeah. You, when you go through the old stuff, it's about some SIM swap was done. By the time the investigation is done, some guy at the telco was involved and all that. So yeah. most of it has been down to a large chunk, really, is down to how aware people are, you know, who do you. I know yeah. people that will tell their driver, they give their driver the uh, debit card to go draw money from ATM and all that. Adventure, you use the same pin for your debit card to lock your phone, and these things mm-hmm. happen. And the guy just tries, and it's the same pin you use to lock your phone. He has access to your USSD, that's the easy one to get to. Then you're using the same pin on USSD, and we've seen cases like that where money is transferred. We start doing the investigation. Our money is transferred, someone goes to an ATM to withdraw. By the time we get the footage of what's going to the ATM, you realize it's someone that is known to the customer. So I think awareness for the general uh, public is very key. And the work being done by the CBN and the CISO committee is, you know, couldn't have come at a better time. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a good response. Thank you for that. Let me move over to another one. So this is about cloud computing. So we know it's a form of shared resources. We've talked about this. Yeah. So this means that hardware operating systems and other IT infrastructure are not managed directly by firms moving their data to the cloud. We talked about this too, but they are outsourced. Uh, and usually in a subscription-based model. So if organizations don't have 100% control of their infrastructure, it's 100% or even 99.9% security impossible with cloud computing. It's not possible with any form of computing, even (laughs) physical, (laughs) the one you're seeing in front of you every day. Because you need to understand that there's always people process factors, you know, outside of the technology. But like I said before, yes, you have a cloud infrastructure, they've provisioned some servers and they've installed applications and all that for you. You still need to do your due diligence, you know? So if you have a, I call it a bank dedicated space on Azure, for example, so Microsoft provisions these things. Now, I'm saying Microsoft because we're on the Microsoft cloud. Microsoft will only tell you through their securities. And if you don't subscribe to Azure Security Center, then you don't have mm-hmm. visibility to, or deep visibility to what's going on on that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So they give you the basic minimum. Now you need to subscribe to this and subscribe to that. You need to subscribe to their anti-DDoS. You need to subscribe to uh, database vulnerability assessment and all that. So if you don't have solutions doing that and you feel, oh, I've gone to the cloud and that's it. No, you still need to drill down to, okay, what do I need to secure this particular infrastructure, right? And if you're not asking the right questions, they're not going to tell you right we've provisioned this for you and that's it but you need to ask the right questions right Mm -hmm. you need to be the one to monitor your security center for example what are the things it's flagging and who is meant Mm -hmm. to deal with that you know we've talked about focusing on technology alone is not 
doing security right, there has to be some process around how you do that security. Now you're now talking about having the right people, you know, yeah. are they well trained? Do they even understand how this cloud infrastructure works? You know, so people have to be trained. You have to have the right processes to drive the technology you've deployed. And maybe then I'll reduce this, your 99 and 100% to 95. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You can't, I get that question from executive. Look, can you assure us that, sorry, I can't give that assurance, but I can yeah. tell you to a large extent, we see what we're meant to see and would react if mm -hmm. any issue, you know, people look at the benefits of the cloud infrastructure. Oh, we can quickly spin up another infrastructure. If we have a bridge or oh, they're backing up to some different data centers, our data is a hundred percent available anytime, but you still need to sit down and define certain things What's the recovery strategy. What, you know, how those stand your RTOs, your RPOs, because you can't yeah. use the cloud providers own. You need to use what speaks to your own business mm -hmm. infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So you don't just leave it to the cloud providers to do, you still need to do your due diligence. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you. So one trend we have seen in order to combat cloud security challenges is zero trust. And that is security frameworks, yep. which require all users, whether internal or external to be continuously authorized and authenticated to assess uh -huh. any company resource or data. However, there's the challenge of including legacy systems and applications that are generally hard to redesign to feed zero trust requirements. Do you think zero trust is a necessary practice for large organizations using cloud solutions? And if yes, how should large firms utilize it well? Well, zero trust, I love the sound of it and the sort of definitions they give what it means, you know, yes, mm -hmm. I was reading something the other day and it says zero trust is eliminating the concept of trust in organizations and, you know, you need to be scared a bit that, okay, you don't trust anyone. So, but really we just give names to these things for it. So for example, if you deploy MFA, for example, and you've enabled the fingerprint logon, and every time you want to access a service, you're using a fingerprint that is not uh, a password that someone needs to remember. That's zero trust, right? Yeah. Because it has to be you, you know, and you need to authenticate every time. There's nothing like remember these credentials for seven days. But it's also possible you deploy zero trust and you leave the option to remember these credentials for seven days. And that again speaks to your policy. You know, does your policy say do not remember, log on, but it requests you to authenticate and verify at every single point. And really that's what it is. It offers that your question is about large organizations, legacy applications. Yeah, they're legacy applications that would not you would not be able to deploy the concept of zero trust two questions you need to answer is can this application be upgraded more often than not the answer is no is it very critical again more often than not the answer to that is yes it's very critical so then the question is, what do you do, right? Can I segregate these applications from the larger infrastructure? Who needs access to it? Can I lock it down, right? Can it be sandboxed in some form or the other? So those are the questions you need to answer. And this takes us back to a different discussion entirely which is about asset management. Do you even understand what assets you have to know what's critical to you 
and what you need to secure and how you need to secure them. Okay. So uh -huh. for large organizations and the way technology has advanced and all that, you would be able to implement zero trust for more newer things. But for your legacy systems, you would have to find a way to ensure that those systems are secure. And it's basically just segregating them and putting them in some form of a sandbox, restricting access to just who needs access to them, even going down to the level of, so if we take a typical example of an application that needs to talk to another, so maybe an application that needs to talk to your core banking application, but it's a legacy okay. application. You need to restrict it down to the level of what port does it need to communicate with the core banking application. And you ensure mm -hmm. those are the only ports you have open. You know, so you need to okay. understand exactly what the application does and how it interacts with whatever critical services it needs to interact with. With that knowledge, you can implement security that ensures that it only does what it's meant to do. And it's not going to lead to a gap in your infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Hope that answers your question. Yes, it, it did. That was a great response. Thank you. I would move over to emerging technology, right? We touched a bit on some destructive technologies before, but let's go a bit deeper. In recent years, we have definitely seen improvements in the management of cybersecurity threats in Nigeria, and especially in um, the financial space around financial data. This unfolding relationship between new technologies and cybersecurity looks highly promising for the industry with unprecedented volumes of data being produced daily. So banks need to scale up data protection efforts. And we've talked about that. Hadoop is a distributed system for storing and processing big data sets across thousands of nodes. It has been highlighted by many as the answer to the security challenges posed by big data and connected systems. So Adi, would you agree with this way of thinking? Do you think there are associated risks that we are not seeing? Well, Hadoop is what it is. And yeah. the question is, is there a risk? Yes, there is. It's open source, right? And that yeah. comes with its own madness. And yeah. my knowledge of working in an environment that was large, massively using Hadoop at the early stages of its introduction a few years ago, security on Hadoop has moved since then. So in the past, it would be classified into three categories around software technologies. Now, okay. Hadoop as a framework, right, talks to interact with different software and technologies. So that caused a gap in that space. Then that ties into the sort of interface you use for this interaction. How is it configured? right and what sort of security policies do you have to drive that configuration and hadoop i believe is written in java right correct me if i'm wrong and we all know the security issues with the java infrastructure you know and the sort of attacks that has been seen so for me without going into technical details, you know, it's all about ensuring the right authentication, authorization around access rights for users and all that, and massive on data encryption. You know, how is the data stored? How is it transmitted? But more importantly, what level of encryption and how do you convert 
the data to one that is readable from an encrypted one, considering the distributed file system structure of Hadoop. You know, initially there was a problem with the authentication protocol used on Hadoop initially when it was developed, right? Okay. And of course that caused a lot of issues around authentication and how to secure the network or the, the protocol and it's using this sort of clients making a request and you sending that back how do you secure that channel those are some of the challenges with Hadoop but mm -hmm. technology has also moved in a way all that is not totally eliminated because then like I said it still comes down to your own internal policies and what sort of controls you want to implement to secure your data, right? So it's about how you authenticate, how you define who has access to what, what sort of authorization is in place for that particular access and how you protect the, the data right now will the data be protected within the hadoop framework or is it some other add-on that would uh, ensure you can implement the right level of encryption and all that's one you would need to look at and more importantly is okay. having visibility around audits you know how are you able to audit yeah. what's been done and how do you have visibility to see what sort of activity has taken place on the data that is stored? I can't say categorically if we have the right skill sets for that move within our ecosystem. Okay. I know there probably okay. is, but I think there, there still needs to be some training and uh, improvement of skills in that space. Yeah, both from the yeah. security perspective yeah. and from the application developer's perspective. Great. Okay, so to touch a bit more on the topic of connectivity, is IoT something you are actively looking into at Wema Bank? And how well does the industry understand Internet of Things and its security implications? I guess the question I would ask is what exactly is the Internet of Things? How do you interpret it within the financial ecosystem? Because really, it's in simple terms, you're just saying it's you're bringing several computing devices together, right? And they're able to interact in a way where interaction with one gives you access to interact with others. I don't think it's big in the financial sector as we speak, but I know some banks today, including ours, are looking at, we call them the, is it digital or figital? That's a branch that is physical and both digital. Okay, so basically say if a customer walks into the bank, I can approach that customer with a, a device, right? And that device is one that connects to the core banking application, to USSD or whatever. And I can deal with that customer yeah. on that device. Is that an example of um, Internet of Things? Maybe, maybe not. Or I have a standalone device in the branch where a customer can work on a self-service kiosk or something that a customer can go to and consume his transactions, even print statements mm -hmm. or whatever. So in, in some form or the other, we're moving towards that, right? And we'll have more devices connecting and Maybe you can be in a branch and be talking to one or two other branches away via some device or something, you know. 
I guess that's where technology is moving towards. And it's not something that is driven by the banks. It's going to be driven by the business because the business would come and say, oh, we want to implement this. Now, it's now left for security or technology to say, look, how do we ensure security for this implementation you're asking for? And they would have a perfect business case for it. You know, it's going to make the bank so much money on both so yeah. many customers. So you would have to build the necessary security for it to interact with the other systems or devices I might need to interact with. So we're moving to um, having IoT things within the financial ecosystem. Okay, thank you. So we have seen globally that security breaches are extremely costly. Yeah. So where from the loss of revenue, fines or reputational loss, it's a loss. Recently, we saw in Nigeria, a hacker was arrested for assessing, you know, 1.7 billion in funds of banks via cyber attacks. And as this sophistication of attacks increases, investments must also increase to stay ahead of threat actors. So when you look at some of the most prominent issues Nigeria faces from a security perspective, what's one key challenge within the industry that you know you are eager to solve? And if you can marry any new technology to enable that hypothetical solution, what will that be? Mm, you're asking the wrong person. Because <laughs> I don't think the challenge is one of technology. Okay. It's, it's actually a people issue, you know. So even the one point, whatever, billion fraud and whatever, mm. it's insider related. Yeah. So yeah, it's not okay. like that organization didn't have the technologies in place to, but someone that's privileged, you know, yeah. manipulated the okay. system, colluded with some others to do things. But if you ask me, so in Sena crimes, as they're called, why the rate of crime in whatever form is low is because people know they would get caught, right? Because there's a database that if I take your fingerprint or whatever, I know it's you. They have better forensic capabilities and all that. I don't know if we have such capabilities in Nigeria. So for me, it's two things. One, this whole process around the national ID card or using BVN or NIN, we need to deal with that and have a database that tells us, yeah, that is accurate. And you can say, okay, if I take this fingerprint from here and I take it to the lab, I can tell you categorically that Adeolua was the one that did that. Mm -hmm. That would radically reduce crime in whatever form. Now for cyber security, for me, I think it's a people thing. It's people want to get paid. They don't get paid enough and they are influenced by some external factors and they decide to go rogue. What do you do at that point? I'm sure you are aware how much organizations have spent on technology. Seriously, yeah. a lot of investment has gone into securing banks infrastructure. Where the challenge is, is this issue of the insider, the rogue yeah. privilege user. You know, what do you do yeah. about that? You can only have visibility so you can say, okay, this person did this after the fact, you know, or if you're able to deploy solutions that gives you real-time view of what exactly that person is doing at that point. But you also need to understand that when you have that view, it's possible the guy is doing what he would normally do. So it's not a strange pattern, you know? Yeah. But what he sure. normally does is using to do something fraudulent. So for me, that's what keeps me up really. A week. Because, yeah. A rogue database administrator, what do you do? Um, you know, it's a tough one. 
And yes, we're trying to deploy solutions to give us visibility. We're monitoring, we're locking things down, restricting access and restricting to set times of the day and all those other things you do to just reduce the threat landscape as they call it. Okay, thank you. We're rounding up now and to just close off this session, I would like us to look at a few things. We'd like to hear our guests talk about predictions. So speaking of predictions, what was the last prediction you got wrong? I get my predictions wrong every year because I predict Arsenal would win the Premier League. I, I don't know why they think that you think that. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I knew I was going to talk about football. <laughs> okay. So... I don't gamble. Okay. I just predict that I'll wake up every morning and that works for me. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> nice. Okay. So what's one view you seem to find very few people agree on? Mm, I have a... This is soft, right? It's not... We're not talking tech. Yeah, yeah soft. Yeah. Nothing... I have a few, but they're not for this sort of, they're okay. quite, they're quite morbid. So oh, let's, I'll pass on that. <laughs> okay. 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 Cool. <laughs> Thank you. So <laughs> this last question is, you know, a question we usually ask, well, like the previous interviewee or the person that we interviewed last will ask you a question and we'll like you to also ask a question in turn. So. Disruption is interrelated in that respect. What's one perspective you did like to get from our next interviewee? Same space, right? Yes, yeah, same space. Okay. One thing we didn't touch on is crypto. Oh, yeah. Okay. So okay. I'll put the next person on the spot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. Crypto, you know, CBN is launching the digital coin in October, the e-Naira, they call it. So maybe the next interview can tell us where they see that going in the very near okay. future. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's great. Thank you so much for coming Thank to you. talk to us today. It's been a fantastic discussion and we are so happy. That you joined us. Thanks Thank for you. having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening today, guys. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on our future episodes. Thank you so much. Have a good Thank day. You.